Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Firms Consulting Podcast, and we're going with a different format going forward. So I'd like to introduce you to Mary, a PhD student from Chicago, who's going to co-host the next few podcasts with me. Welcome, Mary. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Michael, for inviting me. So what's it like in Chicago? Is it warm? Is it sunny? The birds out? The bees <laughs> around? Well, I mean, not in the wintertime. Now it's better. Is it good weather? Is it spring around the corner? Uh, well, that's our hope. So we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Okay, fantastic. So let's start today with a surprise question you have, which I've never seen before. So I don't know what you're going to give me, right? Right. Well, um, so I was just thinking about the interview process mm-hmm. for um, for consulting firms, mm-hmm. and I was putting myself in the shoes of interviewers, and okay. I was thinking. Okay, so if I'm interviewing, I'm probably going to give the same case to mm-hmm. a bunch of people. And just by seeing how people uh, do in their cases, I'm probably pretty tired and can't remember much by the end of the day. So I was thinking, how can um, how can I judge people if they you know perform the case pretty much equally well? And then that really comes to fit questions and. I don't know, like, what, what, what do you think? Okay, so basically you want to know how do we know someone is better than someone else when we're judging people, right? Right, exactly, and especially if a lot of people perform on the similar level. So I was thinking p- perhaps the top 20%, it's easy to stand out, but then a lot of people are probably going to perform about the same. Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm going to answer this question in two ways. One is I'm going to focus on how the candidates actually perform. Uh, which is important because they don't actually perform the same way. Even if they look, they are performing the same way. And then I'm going to focus on the interviewer right, and how they assess the performance. I think one of the biggest myths, Mary, is that everyone looking outside into consulting firms think that, you know, when, for example, when I was there, they would think that we are really mechanical, disciplined, well-oiled machines that know exactly how to assess performance. <laughs> We are human at the end of the day, right? Right, right. And, you know, we have human problems. I mean, I'll tell you some of the problems I had so it'll give you a sense of of, um, the problems that I would encounter when I was interviewing people, right? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I used to travel quite a lot. You'd know that from my podcast. Mm -hmm. And I suffer from insomnia. Mm -hmm. So I, I have two very bad habits when I'm traveling. I love watching television in a hotel. I love it. I mean, for me, it is so exciting to be back in my room by 11 o'clock and to watch TV. I know it sounds bizarre. It sounds so ridiculous. But there's just something about being in a five-star hotel and watching television. (laughs) Okay. So I'd be watching television till I I would go to, if I could get to my room early, I'd finish all my work quickly and I'd be watching TV from about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And I'd say, okay, I need to sleep by 12. And Mm. 12 o'clock would come and I'd say, no, I'll stay awake till 12, 30, right? Mm-hmm. And twelve thirty would come, and they're doing a marathon of some show I like, and I'll say, "Okay, I'll go to bed at one o'clock." Mm-hmm. And then one o'clock comes, I'd say, "No, two o'clock. That's it. That's the limit, right?" Mm-hmm. So, so that doesn't help you because you know that many. Well, there's a theory that if you watch a lot of TV before you go to sleep, you can't fall asleep. <laughs> right. Now I'm not sure if it's true, but in my case, I also suffer from insomnia. Mm. So I used to take sleeping pills. Now, the thing is, if you take sleeping pills at 10 o'clock, it's going to wear off by 7 o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. But if you take sleeping pills at 2 o'clock in the morning, it doesn't wear off by 7 
<laughs> so I arrived uh-huh. in the next morning, and usually um, the local office would ask me to sometimes do interviews, and I'm obliged because I want to help them. So mm-hmm. I arrived, I'm tired, I'm sleepy, the sleeping pills haven't worn off, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to do the interview. Mm-hmm. Now, people will say, well, Michael, that's irresponsible. Well, at least I'm being honest. <laughs> uh, Consultants going through similar issues. Maybe their work isn't done in time. They're sleeping at 2 o'clock for other reasons. Maybe they have personal issues. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just the, the distraction leading up into the interview. Mm-hmm. There's distraction in the interview itself. Uh-huh. I would say 25% check email in an interview. So, so they'll be checking email in an interview. And I would say another 15-20% come in unprepared. They just didn't have time to check the, the case. Mm-hmm. Now... Of those who come in prepared, let's assume they had time to look at the case. Mm-hmm. You think that's a good thing, right? Right. That's actually a very negative consequence that you're not even aware of. If I do the same case 20 times, right? Right. Or let's assume I do the same case 30 times because I'm a bit of a lazy interviewer, right? Mm-hmm. If I do the same case 30 times, mm-hmm. over 30 times of doing that case, I'm going to see things in the case... I'm going to become an expert in that case. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see things in a new way. I'm going to pick up nuances. I'm going to pick up details that I wouldn't have been able to pick up if I had only done the case once. Right, that's right. Now, the problem you have when you become an expert in a particular case is that it's very hard for you to distinguish between what a candidate should know the first time they do it mm-hmm. versus all the things a candidate would know if they've done it 30 times. Right. And that's a very big problem. So when someone comes in and says, well, I know this case, I've done it many times, that's actually going to make it harder for you. Because sometimes they are a bit unreasonable in the things they expect you to know about the case. So keep in mind, those are all of the difficulties we face even before we assess the candidate. I mean, you can see there's quite a lot of things we have to, quite a lot of mountains we have to climb. Yeah. Right? It's just many issues that are affecting us, right? Right, right. Now, there are biases. We have biases. Mm -hmm. Even before you arrive at the interviewer, I may have a bias against you because maybe I don't like your nationality. Maybe I don't like the school you went to. Maybe I don't like the way you presented yourself. Maybe I don't like the way you introduced yourself in the interview. Now, we, you know, the firms will never admit it, but humans find it very hard to manage their biases. Right. Um, and we're all humans. That's we're right. all humans. And I know it happens. I mean, I try very hard, but the, the reality is that you know you're a human if you have a bias. Mm-hmm. If you say you don't have a bias, then you're probably an android, right? Right. So, those are the problems you face. Now, it, once we get into the interview, I think it becomes... I think interviewing, if you want to understand interviewing, is a little bit like dating. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. You know, I have obviously lots, not a lot of friends, but I have, I suppose, the normal amount of friends, right? Mm-hmm. And I watch them make decisions, right? If they, li- if they already like someone, they will find a reason to justify it. Right. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you really like the biggest jerk in the world, <laughs> you will find a reason to justify it. Right. And if you don't like someone, you will find a reason to justify that as well. So the same thing happens with, with cases, right? and that's a fact. When I'm doing a case with someone, two things are going to happen. Either I don't like you, and I'm going to run the case to justify that. Or I like you, and I'm going to run the case to justify that. Now, the question is, is that bad, or is that 
you know, isn't that unfair? It's not unfair. Because if I don't like you and I run the case and it justifies that, then you're not good, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is that when you see I don't like you and you respond to it. If you see I'm tougher with you, you maybe think, oh my God, Michael doesn't like me. I might as well quit at this point. The flip side of this is sometimes you don't know when we don't like you. When I don't like someone, I'm really nice to them, actually. <laughs> so, well, I'm going to give up on you. You're not going to handle this. Why should I be hard on you? Uh-huh. So I'm really nice to you and I'll talk to you. But if, if I like you, man, it's going to be a bad interview. Because I'm going to put you through your paces because I don't want another partner to say, well, Michael justified hiring this guy. Why did he do it? I want to know that if I recommend someone, they have been through the, put through the paces. Okay? Now, so all of these things are already happening. And now we're assessing a candidate. At the end of the day, it's very simple. We don't, we don't expect you to be brilliant at cases. There are times where someone is just off the charts brilliant, but honestly, that is not the way we make the decision. We don't say that this person was the best at cases, let's hire them. It's almost like an amalgam, you know, chemistry and amalgam, a mixture mm -hmm. of metals mm -hmm. that mimic a new chemical compound, but basically it's an amalgam. If we see that you have, you know, quite formidable people skills that will compensate for weak case skills, we'll hire you. Hmm. But I imagine a lot of people have pretty good, pe you know, people skills. No, actually, not. that's not true. Most people have pretty weak people skills. Most people are very weak because they don't think it's important. Hmm. I mean, I think you have pretty good people skills, right? Uh, but I think you're an exception, uh -huh. to be honest. Um, oh, I feel very flattered. Thank you, Michael. You're an exception. <laughs> uh, I think most people... Uh -huh. Uh, for example, let's take a very simple thing you just did now. Okay. You challenged me. You said, but most people have good people skills, right? Mm-hmm. How many people do you think would challenge a former senior partner? Um, probably not a lot. Not a lot. So immediately uh -huh. you're in a very unique category. Okay. You're not treating me like I'm special and I like that. Okay. So... Those... Well, it's probably also because I talk to you more often. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But, but even then, uh -huh. some people just, they won't challenge. They'll just listen and they'll go with it. And also the way you challenge is very friendly. So I'm thinking, okay, if you did that with a client, that's good. You're not going to upset the client. You're going to make the client feel okay with the fact that you're challenging me. Mm -hmm. Those are the people's skills we're referring to. I, I would rather have someone who's like that then someone who's brilliant at cases but is just going to be terrible in front of a client. Because people forget, cases are not solved in isolation. They're not solved in a little room and then you give it to the client. You're going to have to work with clients. And the, the, the biggest thing is whether the client's going to want to work with you. That's right. So when it comes to separating people, even the top 20% is not difficult. It looks difficult because when people say top 20%, they mean on case skills. But when we kind of add in the layer of people skills, then the top 20% becomes easy to distinguish. Mm. It becomes so easy to see someone that, you know what, this guy or lady or these days this person because of gender differences and so on uh -huh. is going to do a good job uh, because it's just so easy to talk to, so conversational. And then people will say, but Michael, isn't it all about cases? It's all about cases. But you forget when we say it's all about cases, we don't just mean technical skill. The ability to talk to someone allows you to extract information which makes you better at cases. So the conversational part becomes by far the most important thing. Nothing is more important than that. Mm. 
You can I be see. smart, but if no one knows you're smart or people don't like you being smart, uh-huh. you're not going to go anywhere. Right. It's about making people feel good about them. I'm sure you have friends like that where you speak to the person and you actually feel good about yourself. Right. And then you have other friends when you speak to them, they kind of make you feel a little bit bad. Right. You don't right. know I they're doing it. For example, uh-huh, they'll uh-huh. say, oh, Mary, that's such a nice dress. I'm surprised you look so good in that. They think it's a compliment, <laughs> right? But it actually uh-huh. makes you feel bad. And when people speak to that way, you pick it up immediately. Right. You don't have to think about it. You know, I don't feel uh-huh. good. It's the same thing with conversation. I don't have to think about whether you made me feel bad. I just can feel it immediately. Uh huh. And we don't want people like that. Uh huh. In an industry so, where, sorry, just one point. In an industry uh-huh. whereby we have to give client bad news, we have to be tough with them. Uh-huh. We want people who can coach that in a very nice way. Mm. Yeah, I you see. want to ask me a question? Yeah. So um, I was just thinking. Um, so what if someone just have a really outstanding fit question, but his um, so for example somebody did something really impressive, mm-hmm. but maybe it, it so that would definitely help them to stand out, right? Okay, again, see, you're making a similar mis- not a mistake, but you're focusing on one area. You're focusing on the content, right? Right. You're saying the content. If if I typed it on a piece of paper and I read it, it'll be amazing. Uh-huh. But how did the person deliver it? What is their body language when they're explaining the foot question? Mm-hmm. Where, if, they, if, they were this, if, the, if the content was amazing, uh-huh. does it match their delivery? Were they amazing in their delivery? Mm. Were they, were they, did they exhibit the confidence that they showed in the answer? Right, right. Remember, people always say, well, my answer was perfect. Uh-huh. But the answer is... The answer is the interviewee's supposed response. Mm-hmm. The way they give the the way they actually deliver the answer in the interview is their actual response. Mm-hmm. I would rather measure you on your actual response than your alleged response. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So if you give a brilliant fit question, but it doesn't make any sense because you don't exhibit any of those qualities, then no, it should be a no for me. And people have done that. If we don't know what you did and mm-hmm. we can't assess you, we cannot give you the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. And that's a decline. Mm. Right? So you see, it's, it's, if you're great on communication but you're weak on the content, it's a no. Mm-hmm. If you are weak on the content and you're great on communication, it's a no. If you're good enough on the content and great at communication, it is a yes. Mm. I see. Because people who, are, who, are, who make other people feel at ease are always going to be better strategy consultants. Because mm. you get a client to share things with you that you can communicate better. If you have mm-hmm. a complicated idea, you can explain it to people. There's no point having a complicated idea, but no one can understand it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like solving a very complex riddle or, or problem in economics or mathematics, but writing it in a language no one understands. Right. It serves no value to the world. Mm-hmm. So by, by weaker in content, um, there are definitely people who have more life experience than others. 
No, um, that's impossible. How can you have more life experience? If you're 30 years old, you are 30 years old. <laughs> you have the well, same life experience. No, no, no. I mean, more, some people spend more time in school. Some people spend more time in the society. But so that's, still, that's, that's just different life experience. It's still the same. It's still 30 uh-huh. years of life experiences. Right? Unless you had a coma and you lost your <laughs> You have but the same the, life experience. It's about how you explain uh-huh. it. But then maybe maybe people who spend more time, you know, working in companies instead of in school have more impressive but stories. But I think that is I think that is a good staging point for the next podcast, right? Okay. So let me let's stop here and we'll do the next one now. Okay.